First Chronicles 22, verse 5, it says, For David said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced, and the house that is to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, of fame and glory throughout all lands. I will therefore make preparation for it. So David provided materials in great quantity before his death. And I love that passage. David had always wanted to build a temple for God. And if you know the story, you know that when the time came that he felt that he could build the temple, that God denied him the right to build the temple. He said, you're a man of war. You're a man with blood on your hands, and I'll not allow you to do it. But he said, I will allow your son to do it. And so David has this awesome task of encouraging Solomon to build the temple. And not just encouraging him with words, but he backs it with his finances. He backs it with his support. In 1 Chronicles 29, we go a few chapters up, and David is not only now given of his own things, but now he is challenging everyone else to get involved. He says, And David the king said to all the assembly, Solomon my son, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great. For the palace will not be for man, but for the Lord God. So I have provided for the house of my God so far as I was able, the gold for the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver, and the bronze for things of bronze the iron for things of iron and wood for things of wood, besides great quantities of onyx and stones for setting, antimony, colored stones, and all sorts of precious stones and marble. Moreover, in addition to all that I have provided for the holy house, I have treasure of my own, of gold and silver, and because of my devotion to the house of my God, I give it to the house of my God. 3,000 talents of gold, of the gold of Ophir, and 7,000 talents of refined silver for overlaying the walls of the house. And for all the work to be done by craftsmen, gold for the things of gold and silver for the things of silver, who then will offer willingly, consecrating himself to the Lord? When the leaders of fathers' houses made their freewill offerings, as did also the leaders of the tribes, the commanders of thousands and of hundreds, and the officers over the king's work, they gave for the service of the house of God 5,000 and 10,000 darics of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord in the care of Jehiel the Gershonite. Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. And I wanted to read that with you this morning because I believe that God is blessing our church um, in such a powerful way. We're seeing new folks, and the auditoriums are full, and that's a good thing. Our parking lot is full, and I'm not sure that's all us or if that's soccer players and us, but (laughs) it's full, and it looks good in the community, doesn't it? (laughs) But God is really blessing our church. But as we grow and as more people come and as we have children involved in church, it means that there's more work for us to do. And that's kind of what I want to challenge you with today. In this passage, he talks about the Lord's house. And God's house is a special place, isn't it? This is a special place. It is different than the Old Testament house of God. In the Old Testament, God would actually come down and he'd dwell in that house. In the New Testament, we know that God dwells within us. And we come together. And so this is more of a building, although it is a special place where we gather together to worship God. But the house of God, he mentioned in that passage that it would be great that it was enormous because it was not for man, it was for the Lord. And what we do here on Sundays and Wednesdays and Monday mornings and all different times when we meet together, what we do here, it's not for man, but it's for the Lord. 
This place is for God. This is his house. And he said that it should be great and that the fame of it should be spread abroad. In other words, God's house should be a special place and needs to have special care taking care of it. He says in chapter 29, verse 1, that the work is great. He said Solomon's been chosen to do it, and he says he's young, and he can't do it alone. I wish that like 10 or 20 years ago I could still claim that I'm young, but as I get older, I'm realizing it doesn't matter how old the pastor is, he can't do it alone. That a church is something that all of God's people come together and they do the work of God. They reach people and they teach people and they take care of people. That it's a great work. And then we see in chapter 29, verse 6, that not just David gave, but people gave. And this morning, when you think about the things they gave, they gave gold and onyx and silver and all of these things. And not very many of us put those types of things in the offering plates, do we? Uh, and, and I, I think about some of the things they may have given in that day, and it would be unusual for us to do that. Can you imagine 5,000 or 10,000 talents of any type of precious metal being put into the offering one Sunday? We'd have to hire more ushers, wouldn't we? And, and they'd have to have wheelbarrows to get it all wherever they counted. And it, We don't do that, and so we give our tithes and offerings. But it also says they consecrated themselves to the Lord. And that's what I, one of the things I just want to challenge you with. As we grow, our growth is going to be limited to how willing we are to give ourselves to God. That there are things that we need as a church in order to keep growing. There's things that we need to take care of the growth that God has given us. We need things like people willing to work in junior church and, uh, and, and help out there from time to time or work in the nursery. And, and We want our church to grow and we want young families to come know the Lord. And one of the things, if you haven't noticed about young families, is they bring babies with them usually. And that's a good thing. I, I think it's a great thing when we see babies in church. But wouldn't it be better if, if we said, hey, if this is important to us, we're going to make sure those babies have a nice nursery to go to with workers that love them and care for them or Sunday school teachers. We're down a couple Sunday school teachers. God's still sending us children, and they're still coming, but we're down a couple Sunday school teachers. And so maybe that's your area. Or church cleaning, for instance, that maybe you'd say, hey, I can come and I can take care of the house of God. That's one thing that I can do. Unless you're a man, then maybe you can't do. I don't know. Amen. (laughs) You're just trying to get off the cleaning list, aren't you, Hal? But God has just done such a great work for us, and we need to, therefore, take care of that and keep doing it. And so the people gave of themselves. And then chapter 29, verse 9 says the people rejoiced. And I think the end result of all that we do, no matter what we do, the end result is we're going to rejoice. We're going to be glad. I don't think we'll ever leave this life saying, man, I regret all that stuff I did at the church. Man, I regret teaching Sunday school. I regret doing junior church. In fact, you'll hear some of our old veterans that used to teach junior church years ago, and those are fond memories that they have that they would never take back for. And so I just want to challenge you as as we keep growing as a church, get involved. Get involved. Don't come and and, and think that, that you're not needed or that your gifts and talents can't be used. Find a place and get involved, and let's keep growing for the Lord, okay? That's your free message this morning. Now, this is the one I'll charge you for, okay? Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, and, and I, I, I hopefully won't be long. Matthew 9, verse 35 through 38 is where I want to look. It says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest 
to send out laborers into his harvest. This morning, I want to give you about five things that Jesus did in this passage of Scripture, and, and they relate to us. In fact, some of these things are things that we need to begin doing. And some of them are things that have benefited us that Christ did these things. And the first one is this, is that Jesus went. Jesus went. And aren't you glad that Jesus left heaven to come to earth in the first place? Amen. If God had just sat in heaven after he had created the universe, and if he had just let man run his course, how self-destructive and how miserable we would be. But God looked down from heaven and he saw the mess that we were in. He saw the condition of our hearts. He saw sin and he saw destruction and he saw death and he saw despair. And God said, I cannot remain here and do nothing. In fact, it wasn't even a reactionary thing. God knew before he even created this earth what a mess we would find ourselves in. And even though he knew that he would one day send Jesus to die on an old rugged cross because of our sins, he was still willing to create this universe. That God loves us that much that he would in advance make the sacrifice for us. Knowing what we would do and knowing how far we would drift, he still loved us. And so in this passage, it says that Jesus went to the cities and villages. And I like that because he says he went to the, basically he went to the big places and the small places. He went to places like Los Angeles, but he also takes time to come to places like Farmersville or Exeter, right? We're we're certainly not in the city category. We'd probably be the village category. But aren't you glad that, that God does that? He went to the city folks and he went to the country folks. He went to the rich folks and he went to the poor folks. He went to the smart folks and he went to us folks. <laughs> he went everywhere. Jesus went. And that same thing needs to take place in our lives. We need to look around us and be willing to go anywhere and everywhere that Jesus would go. That there shouldn't be a place in this, on this planet, in this community, in our neighborhood, that we're not willing to go to. Because if there is, then pride has crept in, and we've forgotten how far Jesus came for us. He also says he went to the synagogues. And I think that's important also because it establishes how important houses of worship were to Jesus. I'll tell you, I just don't understand. I do understand, but I don't like when I hear people say, well, I just don't, I love God, I just don't believe in church. Because when Jesus was here, he made it a practice to go to church whenever he could, whenever the doors were open. Paul, when he became a missionary, the first thing he would do when he approached the town was find a house of worship. And Jesus not only went to the cities and villages, he didn't just go to the mountains and said, that's my church, or the coast and said, that's my church. But he found the synagogues, the actual houses of worship, and he went there. And I know this may be hard for some of us to believe, but you know what? Sometimes we need him in the church more than they need him out of the church. Because sometimes our lives are so messed up that we need Christ to come visit us. That we get off track. Even within the church we get off track. And we need Christ to come and straighten us out. Not only did Jesus go, but I want you to notice what Jesus did in the passage of Scripture. He just didn't go visit those places. He always had a purpose. He always had a reason. There was a a purpose for Him being there. And oh, how, how much more effective you and I would be for God if we began to look at our life as having a little more purpose. That the purpose of our life is is greater than just making an extra buck. The purpose of our life is greater than just experiencing the next great thrill. The purpose of our life is more than just getting by. 
It's more than these things. It's more than retiring. Man, if that's the purpose of your life and you retire, then you wonder, what am I doing now? Jesus had a purpose. And when he went, he did this, the Bible says, he preached the gospel to everyone. And that ought to be all of our goals. That When we're around folks, we realize that God has put me here. And whether I preach the gospel with words or whether I preach it with my actions and live it out, that I've got a purpose that God has planted me here. Our children are out in junior church, and many of them, you probably remember the song, This Little Light of Mine, I'm Going to Let It Shine. We ought to have a purpose that wherever we go, that we let the light of Christ shine in us. That if we go into the community, man, we ought to be smiling and happy and rejoicing and praising God as we go on our way. We preach the gospel, the good news. And it is good news. In just a few weeks, we will celebrate Resurrection Sunday. Jesus Christ not only died for us, amen, but He rose again, giving us victory. And during the next few weeks, I want to challenge you to preach the gospel to everyone you meet. You don't have to preach the sermon. don't necessarily have to give them an altar call there in the donut shop this week. or You don't need to sing an invitation as you walk through McDonald's. Or, but you need to preach the Word. Let people know that there is good news. That in the midst of all that's on the news that we watch on the television, there's some good news that came straight from God. And it is that He loves us and that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to live here a sinless life, a perfect life, and that He allowed Him to be sacrificed and be executed not for His sins, but for our sins. And that no matter how sinful we've been, no matter where we've been, no matter what we've done, that God loved us enough to send His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. That's good news. And brothers and sisters, sometimes we act like, we're bringing news of the plague when we go out into the community. We kind of get the whisper, you know, hey, I want to tell you about something. And we ought to be excited to tell people about what God is doing. Not only did he preach the gospel, but the Bible says he healed every sickness and affliction. Aren't you glad we serve a God that does just that? That he comes into our life and, and he heals every sickness and affliction. Uh, do you believe in a God that heals Amen? He hasn't changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The God that in previous verses to the text this morning was able to cause the blind to see and the lame to be able to walk and the deaf to be able to hear, He's the same God that we serve today. The God that caused sickness to depart, He's the God that we serve. God still heals. And in a week like this, as we think about what has gone on, we've seen people go into the hospital for surgery, and we know that God has blessed us with talented physicians and doctors, but we know that it is God that watches over and protects us. And at the same time as we hear the news of one of our sisters in Christ passing into eternity, even in that, we know that God has ultimately healed. Amen. Just a few short days ago, Sister Nina Fisher was laying in a hospital bed, unresponsive really, and not, not too much to visit with, but today she's dancing around the streets of glory. I'd say that was a pretty good job of healing, wouldn't you? God heals, and, and not only does He heal our sicknesses, but also our afflictions, our heartaches, our burdens, the things that trouble us. God is able to look into our souls and see what is wrong with us when even we don't understand ourselves what's going on. And he says, I'm able to take care of that if you'll turn that over to me. 
See, we have doctors that can heal physical sicknesses, but only God can heal the soul. Only God can really change a man or a woman. And so Jesus went, and Jesus did, and then it says Jesus saw. That as he marched along and he had done these miracles, he came to a place where it says he saw the multitudes, and he was moved with compassion on them. We serve a God that sees us all. He doesn't just see the person right in front of him, although he's able to devote so much attention to that person, but he sees beyond that individual and he sees the crowds. This morning, if you're here and and, and you do not know Christ as your Savior, you need to know this, that that God sees you. That He is all-seeing. That He sees His people as we gather and we worship Him and we sing praises to Him. He sees us as we call out to Him with our needs and our concerns and our cares. God sees us, but He sees the crowds also. God sees America, doesn't He? And America needs God desperately, don't we? This land needs revival, and and yet God looks out and we see a small portion of our country here, and and we see a glimpse of of it on the news, but we know that God sees it all. And I'm glad that He does. God sees us. Where are you this morning, and what's going on in your life? You may have walked in this back door carrying a heavy load a heavy burden, and, and maybe heartache going on in your life. Maybe, maybe you came in here and, and felt uncomfortable because you know that your life is not in line with what God would have you to live in. And you walk through those doors, or maybe you just didn't feel like you fit in, and, and no one understands you. But we have the assurance that God sees. God knows exactly what's going on. He sees the condition of the crowds. He sees troubled Helpless, he says, like sheep having no shepherd. We fall into that category at times. Casting crowns sang a song, and maybe you remember hearing the words to it, but it says, she is running a hundred miles an hour in the wrong direction. She is trying, but the canyon's ever widening in the depths of her cold heart. So she sets out on another misadventure just to find she's another two years older, and she's three more steps behind. She is yearning for shelter and affection that she never found at home. She is searching for a hero to ride in, to ride in and save the day. And in walks her Prince Charming, and he knows just what to say. Momentary lapse of reason, and she gives herself away. If judgment looms under every steeple, if lofty glances from lofty people can't see past her scarlet letter, and we never even met her. And he says, does anyone hear her? Can anyone see Or does anyone even know she's going down today under the shadow of their steeple with all the lost and lonely people searching for the hope that's tucked away in you and me? Does anyone hear her? Can anyone see? You know, brothers and sisters, we have got to be able to see like Jesus saw. We've got to look beyond the faults and the flaws and the mistakes and the messes and the heartaches of the folks that we come into contact with and see them as Jesus saw them. Not only did Jesus see, but Jesus felt something. He felt something. The Bible says he saw the multitudes and he was moved with compassion. Moved with compassion. Do you ever just get tired of reading the newspapers? 
you just see all the evil and all the sinfulness and all the wickedness in this world, and we become callous to it, don't we? Almost nothing surprises us anymore. We could read of a horrendous crime or a tragedy in a family, and and we're just callous to it. I saw something on the news the other day, and, and it just caught my attention very briefly, and it probably wouldn't have, except I had a little information from somewhere else, and I ended up putting the two pieces together. But when the news reported what had happened, I, I honestly just thought, well, there we go again. But I had already heard a prayer request from a friend of mine for a family that was going through something, and the two came together. And I thought, how sad that it would have been possible to hear something so tragic on the news and not think anything of it. God needs to wake some of us up, amen, and say, you need to see what's going on and you need to feel something about it. That when someone is killed, it ought to break our heart. When a family is attacked, it ought to disturb us. When a child is victimized, it ought to rip our hearts out. When a family falls apart, it should break us. When people suffer with cancer or sickness, it ought to disturb us. Pray that we don't become so hard that we don't feel anything. The Bible says he was moved with compassion. He felt something. There was this love and and this passion within him that allowed him to feel what others were feeling. He said he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted. They were weary. They were tired. They were harassed, one version says. And they wandered around aimlessly like sheep without a shepherd. When we go out into our communities, we need to see people and see the condition they're in, and it should move us. Here's what 1 Corinthians says. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels... But have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. As beautifully as we speak and as wonderful as our Bible lessons and sermons might be or the music that we sing and the the sounds that come from the doors of these church and flood our neighborhood, as beautiful as they are, if we don't have love, it's just noise. It's just noise. In other words, if we don't feel something, And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Brothers and sisters, Jesus came to this earth for you and I. He came for all of us. The Bible says the Lord is not willing that any should perish that all come to repentance. And He sent us. That was the next thing that Christ did. He sent. He says, pray ye therefore. In other words, because of these crowds and because of the condition they're in and because you feel something about it, He says, let's do something about it. And so He sends us. He says, pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that He will send forth laborers into His field. And so our response when we finally open our eyes and see this, first is to pray. And prayer moves the hand of God, doesn't it? 
How desperately we need more prayer in our lives and in our churches and in our homes. Pray like we've never prayed before. But when we begin to pray, he specifically says, pray that the Lord of the harvest will send forth laborers into the harvest. And i got to tell you, he's really already provided the answer to that prayer, hasn't he? Because in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, he says, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses of me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. You see, we're the answer to that prayer. When we pray, God, send laborers into Farmersville, send laborers into Exeter, send them into Lindsay, send them into Porterville, send them into Tulare. God, send laborers into our community. We're it. And we've got to be willing to go. The Great Commission said that we're to go into all the world and preach the gospel. We start here and we move outward. And even this month, as we are in World Missions Offering Month, it is our responsibility to take the gospel not only to our community, but to the ends of the earth. And if we can't go ourselves, then we need to send others to go for us. But we have a tremendous responsibility. Jesus went, and aren't you glad that he went? Because his going began when he left heaven to come for us. Jesus did something. He declared good news. And that good news is for us too. We've received the gospel. Jesus saw. He looked down and he saw the crowds that day, but beyond that, he saw us. He saw what was going on in our lives. And Jesus felt something. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus did something. This morning, if you do not know Christ as your Savior, maybe you're the one that's under the shadow of the steeple. And you've been going 100 miles an hour in the wrong direction. It's time to come home. Christ came all the way from heaven to earth to die on an old rugged cross for you and for me. It's time that we surrender our lives to him. This morning, if you're here and you're a believer, maybe God has just said it's time to lift up your eyes to the fields. It's time to wake up and see all around you that people are hurting and people need the Lord and it's our responsibility to reach them. Let's stand.